Well, good evening. <clears throat> Maybe I should turn my hearing aids up. I didn't hear anybody. Good evening. Good evening. All right. That's better. <clears throat> We're going to uh, turn... Uh, Look at uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 through 22. No, just, just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. Um, now, I'll leave that to uh, <clears throat> Dr. James Newcomer. Well, we're looking at 1 John, and uh, it's been a, certainly it's been a good uh, study, as has been uh, <clears throat> said, and uh, and sometimes this letter can be a little uh, confusing at times only because uh, John does not write in a polemic style uh, like the Apostle Paul who writes in an orderly, systematic manner in his letters. And by that I mean that Paul would start his uh letters with a premise, and then he explains and expounds on that premise until he reaches a point in which Paul shifts gears and tells his readers to put into practice what he has just written. Now, before we look at 1 John, I need to give you just a little bit of uh, character uh, study here. Uh, you know, if you look at the, the this little letter of 1 John, I underlined and circled um, all the times that the word beloved or children or little children is used, and I counted 15 times. 15 times. So this letter is written in a very uh, fatherly sort of way from, uh, from John. And uh, remember who John was, that he was the uh, disciple who leaned on Jesus' uh, chest there at the, at the Last Supper. And <clears throat> there is a verse in particular, you don't have to turn there, uh, but John... Uh, 1.14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so as, as John uh, was there during the uh, earthly ministry of, uh, of Jesus Christ, uh, both of those were very much uh, in play. And as I was saying earlier about, uh, about Paul, that as he goes through the uh, book of Romans, he goes on and, and, and says that, uh, you know, uh, all men have sinned, and this is how you can, uh, how you can uh, come, to, uh, come to Christ, that the wages of sin is death in uh, Romans uh, 6.23. 
and then he gets to chapter 12 and verse 1, and then he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. And then he goes on in Romans chapter 12 and the rest of uh, the book, explaining what that might look like. In the uh, little letter of Ephesians, Ephesians uh, chapter uh, 4, Paul says, after explaining in chapters 1 through 3 about the, uh, all the blessings that we have <clears throat> in Christ and the mystery of the gospel that, that now uh, the uh, Jew and Gentile are uh, brought together. But in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul turns a corner and he exhorts his readers to walk worthy of the calling to which we have been called, and he explained that calling in chapters 1 through 3 of the little letter of Ephesians. So, when we look at 1 John, it is written as a letter explaining that as someone who has seen with his eyes and touched with his hands, the, uh, the Lord Jesus uh, himself. Look at, uh, in 1 John, the first uh, few verses. 1 John chapter 1, and John writes, he says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete, or uh, some translations, so that our joy uh, may be full. So John is writing from the standpoint as someone who has seen with his eyes, touched with his hands, he's heard the, uh, the teachings of our Lord, and John goes on and he will say, here are some tests to prove whether or not you are truly saved. And John begins this little letter by establishing his credentials that we just looked at, and then ever so gently says to his readers, listen up. Everyone say, I'm listening. Okay, we'll have to work on that. <clears throat> you see, there was a group of people known as Gnostics, who they were claiming that they and they alone had the real truth about the gospel, what it consisted of, and what it would look like in someone's life. They taught that they 
and they alone had the truth and we need to understand that this is nothing new. This sounds familiar even in our day. We have people and we have groups running around the landscape saying, here, here, follow me or follow our group and, and you'll know God. Whether it be a cult like Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormons, perhaps the Nation of Islam, but they all claim to be the source and authority on truth. And I need you to uh, <clears throat> understand this, and maybe write this in your notes, that uh, the, this group, the, the Gnostics, just basically believed that the spirit world, the immaterial world, is good and matter is evil, okay? The spirit world is good, matter is evil, and certainly God would never come to this earth in flesh. But here we're going to look at John, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, writes this spirit-inspired letter to correct the teaching of the, of the Gnostics, this group of folks. And John applies several tests in order that you may know the truth of the gospel and are you following after the teaching and the truth of the apostles. Now John Stott writes <clears throat> that one can follow the flow of the book by tracing three headings. And number one, he asked the question, it's, it's Christological. In other words, who is Jesus Christ? He is God in, in human flesh. And we just looked at those first uh, few verses there in 1 John chapter 1. So the three headings, first one is Christological, who is Jesus Christ. Second is moral. Are we practicing righteousness and obeying the command of God? Namely, are we believing in the name of Jesus Christ and who he is and who the uh, scriptures reveal him to be? And <clears throat> so that's the second one. Thirdly, according to uh, Stott, the other theme is uh, that of uh, social. In other words, are we loving one another? So we got these three, three uh, themes, Christological, moral, and social. Now, within these themes, there are several tests by which we may know with certainty that we are saved and on our way to heaven. In fact, a recurring phrase throughout this little letter is if we say and then are we doing so there's the if we sayers and the if we sayers are to be also the uh, ones who are uh, doing so let me just ask a question here uh, before we actually get get going um, 
Have you ever doubted your salvation? I would say that most of us have at some time or another. And one test that that John brings up here is the test of the Holy Spirit. Do you have the Holy Spirit in your life? Do you have the Holy Spirit in your life? If you would, turn back with me to the uh, book of Romans. Romans chapter 8. I think that this is uh, important enough to, uh, for all of us to take a, a peek at. So one test is, is, do you have the Holy Spirit living within you? Look at Romans chapter 8 and verse 9, and I'm reading out of the ESV. Paul writes, and he says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. And so let me just say this. If the Spirit of Christ does not dwell within you according to God's word, then you are none of his. You are none of his. So this test of the Holy Spirit is extremely important, folks. It's it's critical. And let me just say this. This is not intended to beat you up or make you feel, you know, just lower and lower but this is not intended to beat you up, but rather this message is intended to confirm and assure you of having saving faith. If you still realize that you have doubts, then you could be either A, living with sinful habits, perhaps you've not been taught, Or it's quite possible that you've never been saved at all. And that's what uh, the Apostle John is is asking. So if you're having those doubts and you don't really see if the Holy Spirit's been living in you or not, then, hey, guess what? I got great news. Tonight could be the best night of your life. Tonight could be the best night of your life. So, turn back with me. <clears throat> if, well, just, just stay right there, and, and I'll just read these to you. First uh, John chapter 3 and verse uh, 24. First John chapter 3, and I'll begin at verse 19. John writes, and he says, By this we shall know that we are of the truth, and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God, and whatever we ask we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love 
one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. And so John is telling us that one of the tests of, of assurance is that we, we should be able to look at ourselves and go, you know, I, I, do, I, have, I, I have the Holy Spirit uh, uh, living uh, in me. Uh, look at uh, uh, chapter 4, uh, if you're there, and let me begin in verse uh, 10. And John says, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation or the uh, atonement, the substitute for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him, and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And so we've got uh, the mention of the, of the Holy Spirit uh, directly, in these, uh, in these two passages, in uh, 1 John chapter 3, uh, 24, and then chapter 4, verses uh, 10 through especially thir 13. So, we're taking a lot of time uh, to kind of get, uh, get going. Uh, so let's ask the question, who is this Holy Spirit? Okay, who is this Holy Spirit that John uh, talks about? Biblical theology helps us here. We might could say it just rather briefly like this. Within the nature of the one God, there exists three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the third member of the Trinity. In uh, the book of Acts, and you don't have to turn there. In the book of Acts, in, in chapter 5, if you remember that uh, Ananias and Sapphira said that they were going to uh, get, sell all their land and, and give it to the apostles and give it to the, to the church, and they lied and, and they kept back some of it. Look at verse 2. And he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it. He laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of land while it remained unsold? Did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man but to God. And so, folks, when it comes to uh, defining the Holy Spirit and who he is, th this is a critical passage here. This is a, this is a key passage. When you, uh, <clears throat> go to, uh, uh, when you go to the Gospel of John, we find that uh, the Lord himself makes a promise 
He makes a promise that when I leave, I will send the Comforter to you. Has anyone ever had a promise made and then had somebody break it? Kind of punches you in the gut there? I think we all have. We've all had someone make a promise to us and then break it. Let me flip it around. Have you ever made a promise and then broken it? You didn't keep it. We've all had that experience, haven't we? But let me say something. Aren't you glad that Jesus himself always keeps his promises? And when Jesus promised to send the Holy Spirit, uh, he did. Let me uh, just uh, read a few uh, of promises that, that the Lord has given to us in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Uh, another, uh, another passage, another promise that's uh, given to us from the Lord himself. And remember, the Lord always keeps his uh, promises. In Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, the writer of the, this book of Hebrews says, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So here we're told that, that the Lord is constantly making intercession for us. He didn't uh, uh, save us, call us into his kingdom, and then go, okay, you're on your own. Hope that works out for you. But we're told here that the Lord himself intercedes for us. Uh, Hebrews uh, 13, 5 says, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. And so we have these promises from the Lord himself. Uh, Romans 8 and verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So as we look at uh, uh, 1 John chapter 3, let's, uh, let's take a look at this and, and let's uh, begin in uh, verse, uh, uh, let's see. Let's look at uh, verse 19. We already read this. Let me just uh, uh, refresh ourselves a little bit. By this we shall know. Uh, let's see, verse 18. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. And so John goes on 
and says, you know, if we are uh, loving in word and in deed, then it's a sign that we are uh, truly saved. Some of these believers, some of these believers were seriously beginning to doubt whether or not they really had a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Look at uh, verse 19. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. These folks that John is writing to, they needed to have their assurance built up. Not a false sense of security, but a real assurance based on objective tests. And I would say, in fact, if you're uh, counseling, uh, discipling, uh, helping people who are doubting their salvation, 1 John is your go-to book. 1 John, again, contains a series of tests to help those questioning their faith because of the teaching of the Gnostics. And these folks, these Gnostics, were causing much anxiety and confusion within the Christian community. And remember what we said, that the Gnostics taught that spirit is good and the material world is evil. So how about you? Are you questioning your salvation? Do you have doubts from time to time? We can be thankful that according to this passage here, that God knows our hearts better than we know ourselves. God himself wants you and me to have the assurance of our salvation so that we can pray with confidence and share our faith with confidence. I see two tests here in verses 23 and uh, 24. Uh, verse 23, and this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ and that we love one another just as he commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given. And so, we are to believe in the name of Jesus Christ. In other words, in that he lived here in a real human body as a man. He lived, he died as our substitute for our sins. And that he rose again from the dead and he is coming back for his children. So, as his children, we are to purify ourselves in light of his uh, upcoming return. And we find that in the first three verses of 1 John chapter 3. So, we are to have this belief, this trust in Jesus Christ as one test, and the other is loving others. Verse 24. And chapter 4, verse 13, teach us that the Holy Spirit lives inside each true believer as evidence that we are abiding in Christ. 
uh, if you would, because uh, we need to look at this. Uh, turn back uh, in your Bibles to the book of Romans, book of Romans chapter, chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, and keeping in mind that uh, one of the tests that John gives is the uh, indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8 gives us a rather lengthy description of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. In fact, if you count through here, the Holy Spirit is mentioned 20 times in this chapter. And here as we go through this chapter, we're told that the Holy Spirit, He dwells within us. He enables us to enjoy life and peace, verses 5 through 6. He gives us the power to overcome sin in verse, uh, in verse 13. Look at Romans 8, verse 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And so we find that, uh, that the Holy Spirit, uh, indeed, uh, He leads us. He's able, he allows us to enjoy life and peace. He gives us the power to overcome sin. And He intercedes on our behalf if you look at Romans chapter 8 and verses uh, 26 and, and 27, Romans 8, 26, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And so we find here that the Holy Spirit is the, the great intercessor. And the Gospel of John says that the Holy Spirit teaches us, in fact, teaches us what, what truth is, especially the truth concerning Jesus Christ and who he is. And you find that, we won't look at it, in the Gospel of John, chapter 15, Verse 26, the Holy Spirit is actively engaged with our salvation in various ways. First, the Holy Spirit actually places the believer into the church, into the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 uh, tells us that. In Romans 8, verses 15 through 16, we're told here that the, uh, that the Spirit also, he, he adopts us. He adopts us. Verse 15, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, the heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. And so we see that the Holy Spirit has all these different uh, ministries uh, in our life. Uh, we looked at this earlier, that the Spirit also uh, seals us. 
actually guaranteeing our salvation. We looked at that in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. And we might would say this, this seal, it, would, uh, it comes out of the land of the, uh, when, when there were kings and they had a, a ring and they would, they would seal a letter and that was not to be broken. You were not to open that until uh, the right time. And so this seal, it's like a, uh, a down payment. It's like a down payment from God. Uh, we might even compare it to an engagement ring, which is a promise that the two people are giving themselves to each other exclusively. The Holy Spirit also helps us to become more, more like Christ. In uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18, Paul writes and he says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So we find that the Holy Spirit actually helps us to become more and more like Christ. And the Holy Spirit is the promise from Christ himself that he will see you in heaven. It's his promise. It's his engagement ring. It's his seal. Listen to me. No one, no one gets saved, converted, regenerated, whatever word you want to put on it. No one gets saved, converted, or regenerated apart from the Holy Spirit. No one. We find here in, uh, again, in 1 John that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of, of truth and that the Holy Spirit actually helps us to uh, discern uh, truth from error. And John has already alluded uh, to the teaching ministry of the Spirit in 1 John 2.20 where he says that, uh, but you have been anointed by the Holy One and you will all have knowledge. So there's one place, and then chapter 2 and verse 27. But the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it has taught you, then abide in him. In this context, John is encouraging his readers that unlike those who have walked away from the faith, and he mentions that in chapter 2 and verse 19, that they went out from us, but they were not all of us, but they went out from us so that it might be made clear that they were not all of us. These readers can have confidence that the Holy Spirit is dwelling within them. Say it with me. Confidence. All right? Confidence. 
we, have, we are to have that confidence that the Holy Spirit is dwelling uh, with us and in us. And John's readers uh, needed to have that confidence because they, they know the truth about who Jesus is. They embraced it. And more importantly, they are continuing or remaining in it or abiding in it as you... Uh, as you go on through this, this little book. We looked already at Romans chapter 8, verses 9 through 11. Paul teaches us that if a person is truly saved, the Holy Spirit comes and makes his home within the believer. If a person does not see any evidence of the Spirit's presence in his life, they are not a Christian no matter what they say or no matter what they signed. What, what might be some proof or evidence of the presence of the Holy Spirit in a person's life? All right, you guys might be going, hey, you know, Phil, Phil I get it, okay. So uh, how might I know? What am I to look for? Well, I think uh, very simply, you can uh, find... Uh, probably in one place, in the book of Galatians, chapter 5. And if you would, turn there. Galatians 5 and verse uh, 22, uh, very familiar uh, to us. Galatians 5, chapter, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 to 25. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And so Paul, Paul goes on and he says, hey, you know, I, I've listed the, uh, some of the evidences of, of, of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. And if we live by the Spirit, then let's keep in step with the Spirit. Or as Romans uh, 8 talks about, let's, uh, let's be led by the Spirit. And Paul goes on and says, you know what? It's very clear if you've become conceited, if you're provoking one another, if you are envying one another, it's a clear sign that you are not living in conjunction with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit might be living in you, but you are not listening and obeying. So, as uh, Christians, we ought to see the fruit of the Spirit, which very simply is the character of God, demonstrated in a visible way for you to see. Are we showing love to others, especially those who are of the household of faith? Galatians 6.10 says, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. And so we're to be uh, displaying the, uh, the fruits of the Spirit. 
We are to uh, do that with fellow believers and in our households and in our families. So here we have, as we look back at the, uh, at the letter of 1 John, in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 24 and chapter 4 and verse 13, John puts forth the notion that he has given, that the Lord has given us of his spirit and it should manifest in different ways in our lives by displaying the very character and nature of God. In fact, he goes on to say that we can, we can know. And that word there is, I looked it up, is, is the word ginosko. And it means that it's a knowledge. It's not just a, uh, a, a knowledge that I used to have, for example. How many of y'all, maybe in junior high, had to uh, memorize the presidents of the United States? Some of you, okay. Some of you are brave enough to raise your hand. How many of y'all are brave enough to say, I can't remember them now, okay, all right, okay. John here is that we are to have this, this gnosko, this, this knowledge of Christ and the uh, ministry of the Holy Spirit that we, we are to abide or remain in our relationship with Christ by two objective evidences. First, we believe in the truth that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. And secondly, that we are keeping his commandment. And what commandment is that? It's that we love one another. This is how, according to John, on the Spirit-inspired writings. This is how we know that we have the Holy Spirit's presence by the fact that we love one another. And we can have the confidence that we are truly saved biblically despite what a pseudo-mystical teacher might be going around saying. Do you know these truths? Do you own a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? Can you look back at your life and see a pattern of love for people, especially Christians, that maybe you didn't have before? Do you love others in tangible ways? In tangible ways. Do you help fill a need if there's one? Do you pray for them? Do you befriend them? If this is true in your life, then you can have the confidence within yourself and the assurance that God knows your heart and he will give you 
the assurance of your salvation before God, men, and yourself that the Holy Spirit is indeed alive and doing his work in your life. Let me just close with this, uh, with this verse here in 2 Corinthians chapter 13. 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 12 says, Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And I can't think of a better benediction to close on as we have been looking at the role and the test of the Holy Spirit in the life of believers as the Apostle John has explained. Let me, uh, let me pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, for your spirit, Lord, who indwells us and, and teaches us and convicts us, Lord, when we uh, get, uh, get out of step. And, Father, we thank you, Lord, that, uh, that we can have that assurance. And, Father, if there's someone here who does not have that assurance, Lord, may, uh, may this evening be that, that best evening of their life. Lord, as they earnestly seek you, and you tell us that you will be found by those who diligently seek you in spirit and in truth. And so, God, I pray, Lord, that you would... Uh, uh, be with us the rest of the week. I pray that you'd uh, uh, keep those uh, guys safe as they travel out to uh, California. And Lord, uh, bring them back safely and on fire with the uh, word of God that they'll be taught. Thank you, Lord, so much for this opportunity to, uh, to preach your word to these dear folks. And I commit them into your good and loving hand. In Christ's name, amen.